Church, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. We're going to look at the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The night that the Titanic sunk, there were two other boats, two other ships that were in the vicinity. The the first was the Californian. Uh, That boat was only 20 miles away, 10 minutes before the Titanic, uh, Titanic struck fatally that iceberg. They had turned off all of their radio communication. They went into maintenance mode. They saw in the distance the SOS flares, but they never turned their radio back on. They never investigated. The crew of the Californian called it a night went into maintenance mode, and for the rest of the lives, these crew members wrestled with the guilt of why they did not respond. 58 miles away, there was another ship, the Carpathia, and that ship was, uh, had their radio on. They took the call of the Titanic that was sinking. They powered up all of their engines, and they headed straight. In the midst of danger, having to, to dodge and maneuver this iceberg-laden ocean there, and for three and a half hours, they navigated through the icebergs, and many had already perished. But if you know the story, there were 705 lives that were saved by these crew, these crew members that chose not to go into maintenance mode like like another ship, but to to be in the mission and, and to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying. And these two ships, in many ways, are an analogy of the choices that we have as a church. Will will we be a church that goes into maintenance mode, or will we be a church that faithfully pursues, regardless of the cost, regardless of the sacrifice, regardless of the risk, the mission that God has called us to? It is a mission that we have thought carefully about over the last five weeks as we thought about our vision statement to be found faithful as God's people. You see it every Sunday morning as you come in, but it begs the question, what does faithfulness look like? How do we define faithfulness? How do we measure faithfulness? And so our previous weeks, we've gathered together to be reminded that God's word is our authority. Prayer church is our priority. Worship is our response. Discipleship is our focus. And finally, missions is our passion. God has called us to sacrificially engage in his mission, to take his name to all the nations. So we choose maintenance or mission. It is a choice that we all have as we are individually followers of Christ. Our families have, ultimately our church family has. Why is missions our passion? Because Jesus has outlined for us a manifesto, a a calling that that should grip our hearts, a calling that is laid out at the end of Matthew's gospel and what we know to be the Great Commission. And then also here at the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles and hear the word of the Lord from from Luke and his inspired words. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
which he said, you have heard from me, verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, the disciples, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And as Jesus ascends to the right-hand throne of the Father, the word of the Lord reminds us. It reminds us as a church, as the disciples received a commission and they received their marching orders in his manifesto, that, that we too have a message to share. Maybe you're streaming a serialized television program and maybe your seasons in to the show at the outset of most shows now there's a bumper video a, a, a encapsulating show that that uh, would just say in a minute and a half previously on and maybe it's eight seasons and, and the, the episode that you're watching is going to be woven into this larger story. And so in 90 seconds, they're going to weave the highlights, the previous seasons to be able to show you where you are in the ongoing story, to bring you up to speed, to remind you of what is needed to know where, where this story is going. Luke writing to Theophilus says, previously in, previously in my gospel, he, notice in this passage, he talks about, in case you missed it, Jesus taught, he suffered, he was raised, he showed himself to the disciples, he's 40 days with them, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God in this encapsulating sort of words that are, that are bridging his, his prequel with the sequel, the, the gospel of Luke to the Acts of the Apostles, he is trying to say in this moment that the very centrality of the church is going to be based upon the message of the gospel. That the center of the church is a person, and that person is the, the very Son of God. That the chorus that we never tire of singing, the main theme is, is Jesus and Jesus alone. His life, his teachings, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, all of this is at the very foundation of the church, and the church will be built upon this message, and so it is that the central mission of our church is the central mission of the church, which is to guard the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to disciple those who have responded in repentance and faith to the gospel. We have a mission, and the mission is a message. And the message is the glorious news of the light that has come, the light of Jesus, to shine in the midst of darkness. That doesn't mean the only thing that we do as followers of Christ is talk. Our talking is important. Our proclaiming is important. But of course, they're, they're good deeds. The, the great commission and the great commandment, they go hand in hand. We don't pull these things apart. They're heads and tails of the same calling that he has. So he calls us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so the church has been on the front lines of neighborly love, seeing the needs of the community, and responding to them in tangible ways, 
when you go back through the church's history, and is it a perfect history? Of course, no. There are blots and smears. There are many examples, as it is individually in our own life, of the followers of Christ not living up to the calling of the gospel. And that is true with the church. It's not a perfect bride. That's why we need a Savior. But on the front lines of church history have been Christians that have stood in the gap and seen the needs, and hospitals have been built. Orphanages have been started. Orphans have been cared for. The poor have been ministered to. The the very institution that we kind of think has just always been around, Sunday school. You you know why there is Sunday school? You know why we go in life groups? You know why that was created? Was it just because a bunch of Baptists sat around or Methodists sat around and said, what can we do with people before the service or after the service? No. 18th century. Go back to England. The Industrial Revolution is coming. You have have, uh, children that are working and they, they could not... Uh, They were not reading at the right level. And the Christian church said, hey, what if we could gather these kids together? And Sunday school was birthed. And so the the church has seen needs, whether it's it's, uh, going to a a place where there's not clean water and and having wells that are dug or or disaster relief when hurricanes sweep through lands and tornadoes, they, they, they touch down. And the first people, among the first people that show up on the scene are followers of Christ. Christians who say, where are the needs? Because we, we are called to show the love of Jesus in very tangible ways. And so as we show the love of Jesus, may we never forget that we tell the message of Jesus, that our good deeds, as, as wonderful as they are, our good deeds without the message of the gospel is not enough. We, we must go, we must love But we, Christians, we have to tell. We have to tell the message of the gospel. And so we never tire. We never forget that we're called to share the message of Jesus. This is a message that has been carried from the generations past across the nations, across seas. And people have risked their life and they've given their life. 200 years ago, the London Missionary Society deemed the missionaries that they were sending, they deemed them this moniker, one-way missionaries. Because they bought one-way tickets to the mission field. And they packed with them not all of their possessions and suitcases, but if you know the story, the story is, is they brought a coffin with them. And as they boarded the ship, they would bring their coffin with all of their physical possessions, knowing that they were going to a place where they would ultimately die. Because the message of the gospel was worth the cost. A.W. Mound was was one of these missionaries. He goes to Papua New Guinea, and he knew that the decades before, there had been previous ministries and missionaries that were there that lost their lives, were cannibalized by the inhabitants of the South Pacific indigenous islands there. And he goes, and, and he loves these people, and he earns the trust of these people over a period of time, and he shares the message of the gospel as he learns their language. And there are many of the people of that tribe that become followers of Christ, and he dies. And he's buried, not by his family, but he's buried by his new family, not his biological family, but he's by a spiritual family. 
of of these men and women who he had lived with. And and they buried him not at the outskirt of the village, but they buried him as as an honored person, one of their own in the middle of the village. And they ascribed an epitaph over the tombstone. Before he came, there was no light. And he as a missionary brought the light of Jesus as he shared the message of of Jesus and missionaries that have gone before. What do they do? They're carrying the light, the light of the gospel of Christ, the light that penetrates the darkness of the world. And the way that light shines across the the nation is by people who are willing to, to pay the cost who are willing to give their life, who are willing to, to go to difficult places to be able to live and to learn and to be able to gain trust and to be able to ultimately show the love of Christ so that they can share the message of Jesus. A few decades ago, Cormac McCarthy wrote a book called The Road. It's a harrowing post-apocalyptic novel, and it's got this penetrating scene at the end where the father is dying, and he turns in his dying breath, and he looks to his son, and you have followed them for hundreds of pages through horrific events, and he says to him, carry the light. Carry the light. And the missionaries that have gone before us, followers of Christ that have come before us, The followers of Christ that were in these pews the decades before us, they say to us today, carry the light. Carry the light of the gospel. Carry the light of the gospel to Birmingham. Carry the light of the gospel to Alabama. Carry the light of the gospel to our nation. Carry the light of the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is our calling. This is our mission This is our message. And as a church, we are entrusted to share this. We're custodians of what has been given to us in the word of God passed down to us from family members and friends. And we take the baton and we're not called to water it down, but church, we're called to pass it down. And if a church drifts from this message, we drift from our mission because the mission is the message. We have a message to share. And secondly, this morning, we have a calling to heed. In Acts chapter 1, we have Jesus saying to the disciples who are still trying to figure out exactly what are you talking about here. He's telling them that I am going to go, but I'm going to leave the Spirit with you. And the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. Now, what Jesus is doing in our passage of Scripture that we just read is he's previewing. It's the coming attractions of the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God descends upon the early church and gives them the fuel, the electricity, the power that is going to propel them for the ministry and message that he has. Now, the disciples, they've got a question, and the question is found in verse 6. Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They want to be in on Jesus as the conquering king. That he, he has been the crucified Messiah. Now he is raised, and they want to see Jesus come in and kick out those Roman foreign invaders. And so they're asking a question, is this the time? Is this the time that you're going to set up that kingdom that is prophesied in the Old Testament? Is this the time that you're going to restore the strength of the kingdom in Jerusalem and we get all these foreign invaders out of here? And Jesus, he diverts their attention from that day there to the ministry and the message that they're called to share right now. And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority. For us as Christians, we hear this as Jesus saying, don't spend all your time trying to predict 
my second coming. You have a message in my first arrival, in the incarnation, in my life, in my ministry, my death, my burial, and resurrection. Guess what? You are called to be messengers of this. This is what he says to those original disciples. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. You've got a message to share. 2,000 years ago, a king is enthroned all the territories have got to hear about this, that there is a new king who sits on the throne. They don't send out a fax. They don't send out an email. They don't pick up their phone and call everybody. They send people, messengers, heralds, witnesses to go to all the territories, to go to the town square, to be able to say, there is a new king and you're under his rule. And so we, as, as witnesses, we are as heralds, we are called to tell people of the power of the king who has captured our heart, who has brought us into his kingdom, and we're citizens of him. And to every tribe, to every tongue, to every nation, we get to herald this message that you too can be a part of his family, that, that God so loved you that you can be his son, you can be his daughter, if you would trust in Jesus. I mean, this is the great privilege that we have to be able to share this message. Now, notice there's some geographical locations here. In verse 8 of chapter 1, we have, well, go to Jerusalem and then go to Judea and Samaria, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. One thing that you need to know about this passage, many of you know this, this is the table of contents for the book of Acts. So the progression of the gospel is going to be in this geographical progression. So chapters 1 through 7 is the the establishment of the church in Jerusalem, the spread and the growth of that church in chapters 1 through 7. And guess what? In chapter 8, we're going to get into Judea and Samaria. And then in chapter 13, we're going to the ends of the earth. We're we're, we're taking the gospel and and we're going into Rome and we're going beyond here. Now, you know that that the end of the book of apostles doesn't end with the gospel going to every nook and cranny in the whole world. No, this is a continuing story. And the spirit of God that inspired those witnesses is the same spirit that inspires us to be a part of the great story that God is writing to be able to make his name known. And this is a story he started writing in the book of Genesis. This isn't something he just started. He's got bored with his time in the New Testament period? No. From Genesis chapter 12, he says, hey, Abram, I know you're comfortable right here, but I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your extended family, and I'm going to, I'm going to set you up in a new place. And I'll tell you where you're going to go once you start going. And I'm going to, I'm going to make you the father of a new nation. He and his wife, Sarah, they didn't have children. This was almost like a cruel promise to him. But he says, God does to Abram, through your faithfulness, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation and you're going to be blessed. That nation is going to be blessed and and that nation is going to be a blessing to all the nations. So what God is saying is, is I'm going to make a people and those people are going to be messengers of my name and my fame. And if you track through the Old Testament, what you see is God is a missionary God. That our God has a plan and he has a purpose, and that is to use his people to make his name known. So the Exodus, 
setting the people of God free from Egypt. You know why he does that? Why does he part the Red Sea? All of these Egyptians who are worshiping these false gods, they get to see the might of God because God wants his name to be known to all the Egyptian people. He brings them through the wilderness. He plants them in the promised land. And there are all kinds of people that are living there. Why? He says, I want to put you here so they can see you and ultimately hear the good news that I am a God whose name is to be renowned. Our God is a missionary God who wants his fame to be known in every place, in every people. And we're headed in that direction. We're headed in this beautiful vision because we know how the story ends of Revelation chapter 7 where every tribe, every tongue, every nation gathers together to worship him and you know how they hear of his fame. It is through men, it is through women who take the good news of the gospel and they herald it to the nations, to the ends of the earth. It, It is a church like Dawson being found faithful to be a part of this story. There's no one Christian who is called to do all of this in and of themselves. No, the task is too great. There's no one church. It is the church globally, the church historically that has given this call. And this church, Dawson, guess what? We have the privilege to be a part of this wonderful story that he is telling and he tells it through the stories of you and me and us. Our church throughout the century, or not the centuries, but the decades, it has had a a passion to be able to see the needs of the community, the needs of our state and our nation and our world, and to be able to show the love of Jesus in these tangible places so that we will have the opportunity to share the message of Jesus. Think about the Learning Center. Those of you that don't know, this is a ministry center started by our church. And the goal of this ministry center is that every week that there are over 40 Dawson volunteers that are coming alongside of this semester, 53 uh, students that are receiving uh, adult education and they're going through Bible studies. Some of those powerful graduation ceremonies I've been to are, are these graduation ceremonies here. Many of you have, have been volunteers in the Learning Center. They're, they're meeting tangible needs to be able to share the message of the gospel. Think about Kids Connection. Last year, we as a church, Kids Connection is another ministry outpost of this church. We had the privilege to serve 1,400 families and their children and grandchildren with clothing and backpacks and books and Bibles coming alongside of them, getting to know these families, to pray with them, to hear how God's working in their lives. I heard a story just this last service of somebody that said this last week they were, or two weeks ago, or or, the details are alluding to me right now, maybe it was a few months ago, that she was volunteering at Kids Connection, had the privilege to, to have a conversation with a young man, and in the course of that conversation was able to share the gospel with him and pray with him. And would you know, that the, the, through the backpacks that were given and, and through the, the books that were being given and, and through the clothing that was being given, she had the opportunity to share the gospel of Christ and he became a follower of Jesus. And his grandmother came back a few weeks ago and said, just tell, tell the church thank you 
Thank you for what you've done because my, my grandson has, has been changed through the message of the gospel. Here it is, church, to show the love of Jesus so that we'll have an opportunity to share the message of Jesus. We want to be a part of what God is doing in church planning. That's why a few years ago, our Hispanic congregation that has did this beautiful testimony of faithfulness for the last three decades planted their first congregation, New Life Church in Fultondale. And that congregation now is planting new congregations. And we have two new ministry staff church planners that are coming on that are going to plant one in Huntsville, one in Alabaster. Uh, we've had our first uh, church planting resident that has moved in in one of our homes that we own on our campus to be able to train and to learn learn under Pastor Byron and Pastor Joshua so that six to eight months from now can move to Huntsville to plant a gospel-centered Spanish-speaking congregation. And the goal is for that to spread over the course of the state of Alabama, five new churches in, in the next uh, three years that are going to be gospel-centered congregations across our state to meet that need. Seven of our church members, many of you know, are, are full-time missionaries living in a variety of places. And you know why I can't show their pictures on the screen here. Uh, we have those that are in the Middle East and Europe and Central Asia and Southeast Asia. And, and a prayer that I have is that over the course of these next years that God will exponentially grow that number. Those seven were sitting in pews just like you. And God began to stir their hearts to, to leave what was familiar, to plant themselves in a new place with new people, to learn a new language, to give themselves for the renown of God in the nations. And I am praying, and I, I ask you to join me in praying for God to raise up college students and to raise up uh, singles and to raise up young couples and to raise up empty nesters and to raise up a, a whole host of people from our congregation that are hearing God's call upon their life. And, and maybe that's for months or maybe that's for years or maybe that's for a lifetime. We'll go to the nations to make his fame known here. Many of you know that we have seven church plants that we partner with nationally in Maine and Colorado, and many of you have been a part of short-term mission trips to be able to go into these communities to help these wonderful churches spread the news of the gospel in their community. This next year, we'll send hundreds from our church on short-term trips to be with a larger family of God in a variety of, of, of national and international locales. Just like Boyd and Melissa shared in the video, they're going to have those that are serving again at spring break in Ecuador. We'll have volunteers from our church that come alongside of Sudanese refugees in Uganda. We're going to have uh, those that are serving on short-term trips in Kenya and Indonesia and Central Asia, working alongside of wonderful missionary partners in these areas. We'll have those that are in Colorado working with sports camps. We'll have those that are training worship leaders in Maine. Many of you know we own three homes on our campus. And every year, those homes are used exclusively to, to house uh, furloughing missionaries, nationally and internationally. This last year, what a wonderful privilege of our church as furloughing missionaries are able to come stateside 
to be able to see family, to be able to recharge, to be able to share what God is doing around the world. And this last year, we had families that are serving in Malaysia and India and Egypt and Middle East and Southeast Asia through your giving, through your faithfulness. We're able to see the beautiful body of Christ. We'll send 150 students and adults. We'll send them on our international choir mission tour. And this morning, I'm going to announce where that's going. No, I'm not kidding. That's that's an inside joke. That is a well-held secret. But today, I tell you, we'll send over 150 people to the North Pole to serve. No, that's a joke right there. In the coming months, you'll hear where that is. All of this through the faithful prayers of the people of God that called Dawson home. All of this through the faithful giving of the people of God who called Dawson home. All of this through the faithful going of the people of God who called Dawson home. This last year, just to give some perspective, $2 million you gave that leaves these walls for the nations. Leaves these walls into the needs in the greater Birmingham metro area. Leave these walls into the needs in the state of Alabama. Leave these walls to go in the needs of our nation. And leave these walls that go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Through your giving. Through your faithful partnership. Why do we do this? Because it's his passion. This is the heartbeat of our God, who is a missionary God, who doesn't desire anyone to perish, but everyone to come to everlasting life. This is his heart. And the more that we spend time with him, the more that we're on our knees and worship to him, the more we listen to him, he draws us out of our pews to go, to pray, to give church to carry the light. May he find us faithful. Amen.